just as we pick up that thread this morning, I want to say to you, if you missed Regroup Night on Thursday night, it was a really good space to be at. And if you would like to uh, figure out and discuss a little bit about what we talked about, it's the time when we get together, um, share about what God's been doing in our lives, um, uh, celebrate what's been happening, and uh, at the same time, uh, talk a little bit of strategy. So if you'd like to pick up the thread, um, why don't you um, check out our weekly update? And if you don't have one of those, if you don't have a weekly update along the way, then uh, what I'd like you to do is write down on a white piece of card next to you, place that in the box when we have our little video going, and uh, just check out what we picked up along the way um, this morning. So, um, on Thursday night, Mind Games, discovering who we are, and that's just going to keep on going. So, Nick, I'm going to get you to throw one forward and so we can go off this one. And no, go back up one to the black one. Oh, there's one in between, and that's where we are this morning. Do you know in the digital world, things can go wrong and things can go really right. There's a mum here who sent a text message to her kid, she didn't realise what some of the technology is that's going on in the world around about her. So her mum sent a, a message to her son, Dave, and this is what she said. Your great aunt just passed away. Lol. Why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mum, lol means laughing out loud. Oh, my goodness. I said that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. I had to totally call everyone back. Oh, God. I don't know what God's going to do with it, but that's the world in which we kind of live in. Let's go back up one and we'll just stay there for a moment. Thanks, Nick, along the way. This, this whole month, we want to dedicate to unpacking some aspects of technology of our digital world and uh, want to unpack the world in which we're living in. And um, at the same time, what I want us to do, go back up to the black one. Thanks, Nick. We're just going to pause it there and, and sit it there somewhere. What we want to do is unpack part of our digital world and how it works and sometimes doesn't work. And at the same time, investigate four truths about the way in which I believe God sees us. And if you're here this morning and you are checking out God, you're checking out Jesus, this is relevant to you as well. Because it not only gives you a picture and a glimpse of who God is and the way in which he might perceive you to be, but if you get to know his son, what the kind of world it opens up in a spiritual realm for you. And so this month, as we unpack some of those four truths, and I focus on one each week, what I'd like us to do is to be asking this question, who am I? It was the question that was asked of Woody, or really stated, you've forgotten who you are. In a digital world, it's easy for us to sometimes forget who we are. The way I see it, answering this question, who am I, is perhaps one of the most important questions that you and I will ever have to ask. In fact, life asks us to answer it. To me, it seems as though there's some ingredients to this, a simple question, but it's a complex equation. Who am I seems to be made up of where I came from, my ancestry. Who I grew up with, my family of origin, and who I'm interacting with now. And what I'm doing, and what I'm interfacing with right now. And so who I am is not only being shaped, but it's being shaped right now. In fact, when I grew up, we were told at university that when technology comes, it'll change the face of the world that much, really. That there'll be so much increased leisure time in our community. That all of the leisure-oriented social science people are going to fill that gap. Can you believe that? That was only like 150 years ago for me, but it was, it was probably like um, 20 years ago. They were saying with the onset of the digital world, that is what's going to happen. Has that happened? No. 
What's happened is that this technology has become so seamlessly integrated into who we are that it's just an expression of ourselves. Now this week I discovered something about me. I discovered that I'm getting a little bit older and I need these things. Whoa. You look so much prettier. You're supposed to groan. You know? And, and, and I went to the eye uh, specialist and I said, I, I, I need to check out my right eye. I've got a headache and I'm not seeing. And then they put some lenses on me and I went, whoa, is that what I've been missing when I've been reading? I said, yes. I said, everything's so much crisper and clearer. Everyone's so much more beautiful in the world. This is amazing. When I think about it, 20 years ago, glasses were simply just a functional device to help you right, see things. Nowadays, people wear glasses just for a fashion statement, don't they? In fact, I need to convince you that I really do need glasses, and that's why I'm wearing them. It's not just an extension of myself, yeah? It's because this is the world in which we live in. I thought I'd just break the ice this morning. I'm going to come back. Um, that's why it is. And uh, this is the world we live in, isn't it? It's a world that's filled with a digital interface that's just a seamless expression to ourselves. Now, as we unpack things this morning, I want to leave you with two ideas we're going to investigate over the coming weeks as we look at this question, who am I? First idea or concept is this. We discover who we are through other people's eyes. We often discover who we are through other people's eyes. I'll just leave it there in that thought cloud. The second thing is that in God's eyes, you and I are of infinite worth, but in need of great repair. Of infinite worth, but in need of great repair. I'll put that in that cloud and just shove it for the moment. Anyone know what this symbol means? It's taken the, the red one, Nick. Anyone know what that is? Pinterest. 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 Anyone here on Pinterest? Anyone here a Pinterest fan? They'll be really gentle this morning because there's all different kinds of technologies in this room. Pinterest, for those of you who don't know, who I discovered this week, is defined like this. Pinterest is a social network currently in a loose invitation-only beta. Thank you, Techheads. I really appreciate that. It fits into the category of visual bookmarking. Like Tumblr, the service uses a browser bookmarklet. Hear that? Bookmarklet. Bookmarklet, which makes it easy to post things from around the interwebs. Or, in simple speech for people like you and I, thank you, Nick. You're going to come up. Next one down. We are getting there. A go one up. Is it coming up? Gee, we are having a really good... Anyway, what I did, what I did is, if you press one more now, is that going to desk? Pins are visual bookmarks for good stuff you find anywhere around the web or right on Pinterest. So, if you're wondering what Pinterest is all about, we're just going to try this again right now. Yes, I can get there. I typed in fishing. I typed in fishing. And this is what came up. You see, there's another person out there in the world who likes fishing as well. And they took a photograph, maybe of them, maybe of someone fishing in this beautiful picture, and they posted it. Brilliant. And then uh, you can get details from what they did or where they were. In fact, if you go to their site, there might be a whole bunch of other fishing photographs that have been pinned on their board, because that's what Pinterest is all about. In fact, this explains why I have a fetish for fishing. It's because it actually happens in utero. So that this is some of the technology that we actually have. And so then I typed in another thing. Along the way, I typed in house hobbies. Now, this is really dangerous. This is super dangerous. Yeah, anyone know why this is super dangerous? 
because there are so many beautiful rooms all throughout the world that you don't want to sit in that couch because it is someone's couch that they have actually put together and arranged in such a way and taken a photograph. I thought I'd get a little bit funny and I typed in chocolate. This is what came up, the chocolate. I love that. Do you like that? You're getting hungry right now? I thought that is a perfect picture of chocolate. And then I went a little bit further because I thought I like the cupcakes that were pinned right next to it. I thought someone has taken the time to make these cupcakes and present them in such a beautiful way that you probably wouldn't want to eat that. But it's so nice. And then lastly, for all those chocolate people in the room here this morning, I found these. I don't know what these are, but these look amazing. Don't they look amazing? Don't you just want to reach out and take one right now and just eat one? It's incredible. In the stuff that you can get, if you want a recipe, if you want an idea, if you want an inspiration, you go to Pinterest. Because what you do is you pin those pictures on your own board and you can start to put your own collection together. Pinterest. Uh, a fad, not just a fad, but a source of useful information that's, that's floating around there in cyberspace. I was talking to someone this week about Pinterest, and they made this comment to me. They said, oh, I, I, I'm on Pinterest, I collect things and I put them on my board. I said, yeah, they, he said, actually some people follow my board because they like the kind of things I'm selecting and putting on my board. I said, well, that's good. But he said, but I wouldn't ever post anything on Pinterest. I said, why not? He said, well, because it's all too perfect. I can't possibly post anything on Pinterest because it's all too amazing. So really, so I, I wonder what it's like in living in a digital world in which we're so interfaced with all of the technologies that after a while as we're looking at these technologies, I wonder if we might sometimes fall into the trap of not only being inspired to pursue something, but also feel a little bit less satisfied with ourselves. Does anyone here in this room ever suffer from comparison syndrome? Anyone? Yeah? You see, the way it works with comparison syndrome is that someone else achieves something, succeeds in something, or posts their perfection. And the very next thing that comes to many of our minds is a little pin of deflation. Ouch. I can't do that. I'm not that. I can't make that. I don't match that. I can't be that. See, the world of comparisons works in such a way that, you know, if you're always comparing yourself to someone else, sooner or later you become fairly much belittled yourself. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, don't get me wrong, there's an awful lot of good things on Pinterest, but I just wonder, in a selfie, digitally orientated world where we capture these images of perfection that are only snapshots of reality. I mean, it didn't say that the person who made these slices, they had a sick family member. It didn't say anything about the fact that they've been fired from their job. It didn't even suggest on that image that maybe they had a conflict and maybe as a mum or dad they were shouting at some of their kids that day that they made these images of perfection and posted them. It didn't say any of that stuff. All it does is show you one momentary snapshot, doesn't it? And they pin it. Let's take this idea from them. The first shelf, the first cloud. We discover who we are through other people's eyes. 
See, the way I see it, Harry's born and he grows up and the only world he knows is the one he looks out to. He looks out to this world and he sees mum and dad, they're smiling back at him and there's other friends and family and they gather around and the only clues he gets as to who he is is by your visual expression towards him. He picks it up. And as he's growing up, he kind of absorbs these things and if, if he kind of equates happiness and the smiling thing with affirmation, then if he gets a lot of those things, he's gone, wow, you must think I'm awfully good because you know, I, I, I'm the center of attention. I cry and I get things. Um, I, I, I do something in, in my clothes downstairs and, and they change me and they make me warm. Um, they tuck me in at night time and they sing soft songs to me. I must be pretty important, yeah? Imagine a world in which we grow up, Harry grows up, and he's looking at these images of perfection. And he realises that as he's staring out, that what's staring back to him are these unrealistic pictures of who you should be or could be or must be or just don't make the grade. Does anyone here ever fall into the comparison trap? <coughs> and I wonder what kind of digital world we're in now. How it might shape us. We discover who we are through other people's lives. There's a writer in the Bible by the name of Paul. In fact, he wrote pretty much oh, a good majority of the New Testament. That is the teaching about who Jesus is. And he's writing in a place that's a prison. And he's been placed in prison because he had this radical experience of Jesus where the risen Jesus appeared before him and he had a radical conversion. And he went about the Roman Empire daring to say, there's a king, there's another king, the true king of the world, and his name is Jesus. In fact, if you actually get to know him, he will forgive you, wash you clean from the inside out, save you from the, um, the judgment to come. He will actually be a life force for you. In fact, he is God come down in the flesh. And if you get to know him, you'll experience the life that God has for you. He is the king. And as a result of that, he was thrown into jail. And whilst he's in jail, if you like, the place of failure for him, it would have been very easy for him to take a selfie and go, hey, everyone, who can see if you're in jail? He's going to post it up so you can all see my moment of imperfection, the failure. Here I am in jail. I mustn't be doing God's stuff very well. But instead... He takes pen to paper, or maybe papyrus to sort of something ink, or maybe he takes out his iPhone and he starts typing this message. It goes something like this. He said, let us bless God in his place of prison, in his place of failure, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realm. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. What does this word blessing mean? We don't use the word blessing much these days, do we? Just think about it like this. Someone has given you a gift that you didn't ask for, that you didn't necessarily deserve, but you just got it, and it's a good gift. Yeah, That's like a blessing. And what Paul writes in this particular place in this jailhouse, he says, I just want you to know that there's a God out there. I've discovered him through this person, Jesus, and he's the king. And I tell you, when you get to know the king, he blesses you with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realm. It mightn't be a physical gift, but it's like a spiritual gift that will speak to your inner being and your inner soul and who you are. And he goes on and he writes this. He said, by the way, when you came to know Jesus, if you come to know him, he chose us in him before the world was made, so as to be holy and blameless before him in love. He foreordained us for himself to be adopted through Jesus the King. That's how he wanted it, and that's what gave him the light. Okay, wait a second. He chose 
us. God chose people. I thought if I came to know Jesus and I said, I want to follow you, that I chose him. Many years ago, I was actually a phys ed teacher and I remember there was one activity that we did that used to send a shudder through all of the students. In fact, we stopped it pretty quickly. It was choosing and selecting teams. Anyone remember the lineup in the phys ed class? And a teacher would give all authority in heaven on earth to two students and they would stand out the front and they would look and line up everyone and assess them according to their likes and dislikes. Anyone here have been scarred by that experience? There's a few smiles, there's a few tears. I would encourage you to counselling afterwards and you see me, that's okay. You see, in that moment, there was a selection and a lineup, wasn't there? Some people were chosen and other people weren't. What God says here in this place is it's not like that lineup. I just want you to know that even in the moment where you might have said, oh, I want to get to know your son Jesus, I actually thought about it first before the world began. Whoa, whoa, it's too early on Sunday morning. Picture it like this. There's a couple who are arguing who, are, who have got married, and they're arguing about who chose who. One says, hey, I chose you. I remember, I said I do at the front. And the other one says, no, 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 I chose you because I said I do at the front. Well, I said it first, no, I second, second. And a man more for men, God says. Can you just take a chill pill for a moment? I want you to know that I'm bigger than your thinking. And I want you to know that people were in my mind, in my estimation, before the world began. That's how important you are to me. And if you come and you reach out to my son Jesus, a whole new world opens up for you where I say, you're holy, you're blameless, and you're experiencing my love, and you are actually growing and understanding what love is because I'm going to shape you into human beings that actually tangibly know my love and give it away and reflect it to my love. That's what I desired from the very beginning. In fact, I foreordained people, human beings, for this very reason. And if anyone reaches out to my son Jesus, I will not only just say you're a friend or you're someone who can be a servant in my household, I will adopt you into my family. I will not just say, yeah, come and sort of, you know, sit on the corner and sit on the side and do a job for me. I will actually reach out and embrace you and call you my son and my daughter. Wow. Anyone remember here going to a friend's place when you're in primary school? A friend said, come on over to my place. And he said, where do you live? And they told you. And you turned up one night, you knocked on the door, sort of after school, and maybe mum or maybe dad opened the door. And they looked down at you and they said, who are you? And you looked up as a little kid and you went, actually, I'm, uh, I'm John's friend. And then the disposition on the parent's face would completely change. Yeah, remember that? They'd say, oh, 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 well, if you're John's friend, come on in. Come on in. And in fact, the car keys are over there, the refrigerator's there, the TV's there. Just make yourself at home. In fact, John's out the back of his room. You can just go say hi. Anyone remember something like that? <coughs> you get to the door, you knock on it, the parent looks down, and, uh, and you go, I actually know John, your son. Oh, in that case, if you know the son, you kind of know us too. Welcome, come on in. See, that's what Paul's trying to remind people. He's trying to say that actually, if you know the son, you get the father. If you get to know Jesus, the son, the father welcomes you in. And he doesn't just say, come on in and just spend some time in here. He actually says, I actually want to adopt you to be part of my family. Now that's a bit scary because if you turned up at someone else's house and they said, I love you, I'm going to adopt you into my family, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? 
Because this is a spiritual thing I'm talking about here in God's sake. That's what he actually does. He dares to call people like you and I sons and daughters. Not ants, not animals. Sons and daughters. And he goes on and he says this just to finish it off. He said, God did all these things so that the glory of his grace, the grace he poured out on us in his beloved one, Jesus, might receive its due praise. Praise. What is that? You see, he says, God just did this like a gift, like a blessing. And it's for anyone. And he just did it out of the goodness of his grace. Some years ago, I was in the Melbourne city. Um, I was there, I think on Little Collins Street, and I realised uh, that there in that place, I had discovered grace. It, it wasn't someone's name, and it wasn't what you prayed before you, you say thanks for the food. It was actually an encounter with the parking meter. I was late to get back to my parking meter in Melbourne City Council there in Little Collins Street, and I thought, I'm going to be stung by a bill. And I ran to the parking meter, and this is just me who does this, who runs late to the parking meter, and I thought, I'm going to see that word expired. Anyone met that before? And I ran to the parking meter, and I looked at it, and lo and behold, there was a word that was flashing at me. The word wasn't expired. It was grace. Am I seeing this right? Grace. The word was flashing at me. Grace. But what is this grace? And I thought... This is amazing. Melbourne City Council has a heart. You see, what they did, unbeknownst to me entirely, that they had orchestrated this, that they knew maybe that I was going to run late that day, and they instigated in all of their parking leaders, maybe on just that one day, the word grace, which simply meant this, my time had run out, and I should have received a ticket. But instead, they allocated about four minutes extra time that I did not pay for, that was called grace. I uttered up a silent prayer in thanks to Maria City Council, <laughs> celebrating their awe and wonder that they would take the light in someone like me, and that they would forego a penalty and a payment just because they were so gracious to me. So everyone needs to change their attitudes about their councils, all right? Because at least the <coughs> grace. You see, at the end of it all, God says, Paul writes, God did these things because of his grace. Nothing he did all you deserve, it's just that he loves you so much. Shelf number two. Cloud number two. Truth is, where God said, we are of infinite worth in the earthly cash. See, the truth is that there's only one being, one person who truly knows us inside out. And if there's a God, it's God. And he would dare look at human beings like you and I, and he would say, you are of infinite worth. But you're in need of repair. You see, when you get caught into the comparing game, you fall into self-introspection. There's greed and envy that can just be elicited in your life and competition and trying to be the best and pursue, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's something of pride that's bred in us, and he says that, that alone, that envy, that comparing, is in need of repair. That's why my son came and he died, 
You paid for a price that you couldn't pay. Die for your sins and your selfishness and say that you could be transformed and changed from when you actually reach out to you begin to experience my healing in my life and it is completely of my grace. So if there's something that Paul was going to pin, we go something like this. Do you know that you're of infinite worth? More worth in God's eyes than you even care to know. Loved, chosen, and adopted before the beginning of time through his son, Jesus. Pin that. Pin that. Pin that. See, I wonder if Paul's there, he's sitting in his jail and he's thinking to himself, I want people to know, not only the people that live around near me that I'm sending this to, but even in a hundred or two hundred or three hundred years time to know that wherever they are, that who you are is not where you are. I'm in jail. And where you are is not who you are. Because if you dare to look in the eyes of a God who made you and created you the center of infinite worth, he will start to tell you who you truly are when you know the Son. Even beyond that, if you're checking out Jesus today, he would say, God's love is an intention is towards you. Are of infinite worth. Of infinite worth. God's going to come and play a song for us in a moment that we can reflect upon. Very powerful song. But as they do this morning, I know how things work in our minds. There'll be a time this week that some of you will be standing in front of a mirror and you'll be looking at that mirror and you'll be saying, imperfect. You'll stand in front of it and you'll say, lousy. A little value. Just our self-talk. I know how it works. Some of you will hear of someone else's success and you'll go, oh, oh. I don't want to do that, but it just makes me feel, <coughs> who am I? I want you to hear the whisper of a God who might gently come to you and say, don't forget who you are. It changes things. I would love for people this week to act on this first truth we're covering in this week, in this, this month. Who am I? We're a mentor. Adopted and chosen by the living God. Next time a thought comes into your mind this week, and it will, I dare you. I dare you to stop and take hold of that thought. And no, it's not who I am. And then when you think upon this, this pin on Paul's board that God said. Now God says I'm an infinite word. Adopted, chosen. Before the world is here. That is who I am. <laughs> 